For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to have a difficult show on the defense for the game against the Giants. Obviously, uh, that defense gave up two fourth-quarter touchdowns to uh, lose a 10-point lead in the last six minutes and change. Uh, another unfortunate game, but here to talk about me with talk about me with it is Kevin Ostraker. Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ken. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot to talk about with this team and a lot of frustrations and in a lot of different areas with just how they have gotten to three and three. And it feels like there's so much you can get into and I'm excited to get into it. With you. Absolutely. Before we do that, we're going to say thank you to our sponsor, liquid death, the water that murders your thirst. Anyway, Kevin, uh, Ravens lose another big lead, their fourth lead of 10 points or more in six games this season. Uh, which is just unbelievable. I mean, they lost a 10-point lead and, and won the game anyway against Cincinnati, which was something. Um, they certainly looked like they were going to be able to hold off the uh, Giants in this game, who they'd, they'd really kept from uh, any long drives until the final quarter of the game in, in the entire well, the entire game. They really had not moved the football really at all. They gave them a half field to work on on a, on a short kickoff return, but otherwise they had not done much. Yeah, and it's – it's interesting because I think after what we were expecting from this Mike McDonald defense, the first couple of weeks, he was really, I think, settling in and figuring out personnel. The Ravens also are going through some injuries, but 
I think over the past three weeks and against the Giants in particular here, I was very impressed. I mean, one of the keys for me was holding Saquon Barkley in check. That was their entire offense. And they did 3.8 yards per carry for Saquon Barkley. And I know the offense kind of gifted them with, or gifted the Giants offense with a short field late in the game. So the Ravens offense didn't really do the defense any favors, but I think that for the most part, we saw a defense and over the past three weeks that is more confident. I think they have, really settled in. And I think that has given me confidence moving forward, even though I know the blown leads are something that definitely do have to change. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, one thing that I under, I know this happens after a loss anytime, but you you certainly pick up a pattern of losing big leads and the castle seems to be burning. The fan base is just ready to torch the place to the ground. This is in fact, a team that's still in first place in the division, undisputed control of first place, including the tiebreaker, despite their three and three record. Uh, they're one and oh, and they've beaten Cincinnati, who's the other three and three team. Uh, each on field setback in a season like this with injuries seems to be that much worse. I mean, if if anything, there should be some understanding of the fact that this team has has very severe personal personnel limitations on what's going on. But I want to do a little bit difference because I, I I do not think I clearly do not think it was defense that lost this football game. I think that's pretty clearly on the offense, and we'll talk through that. But I want to talk about things that are going right with the Ravens defense. And I've got a list of nine things here, but why don't we just alternate for a while and pick some things, talk about it. You may have some things that are not on my list, although you've got my list. Uh, so please feel free to talk about things from there too. We'll bounce it back and forth a little bit. Um, hopefully this is going to be the positive show you listen to this week about the Ravens defense. Cause there's an awful lot positive to talk about. Yeah. I think the first thing that I have to look at when you're talking about the Ravens is turnovers defensively Baltimore mm-hmm. has been a very high turnover defense this year which is such a far cry from what they did last season they had nine total interceptions all of last year and turnover wise they just weren't getting it done and I think that actually led to a lot of their losses because a turnover here and a turnover there even if it's just one it can change the script of I mean we literally saw it and it was going against the Ravens because it was obviously the Giants that benefited but the interception and the turnover the fumble those two plays changed the course of this game and I know you can talk about oh it was the legal formation but you know we're not talking about that right now it's the turnovers mm-hmm. that really can swing a game left or right and for the Ravens to have guys like obviously Marcus Williams is injured right now but Marcus Williams has made that impact for them Marcus Peters has made his presence felt he's a positive in his own right <laughs> but I mm-hmm. think that For what the Ravens have done defensively, a big part of it for me has been turnovers. I identified entering the year as can the Ravens defense get back to their high turnover ways. And it's impressed me the way that they've been able to do it so far. Yeah, definitely. This team is definitely built to play dime defense, to look into the backfield. We talk about this all the time on the show, but basically they're built to, to generate turnovers. They're, they're secondary. They're built back to, well, they're, first of all, they're, they're really built back to front on defense, although they have a good defensive line. They, they're, they're built, a lot of their money is spent in the secondary on Peters, on Humphrey, on Marcus Williams. Uh, the fact that Clark is still here and cheap is is fantastic. Uh, but they have a lot of eyes looking back into the backfield who have a lot of good turnover potential um and the guy who's stepped up in these last four weeks is patrick queen uh his plays improved generally speaking um you know there's still some issues and i'm not going to try and sugarcoat all those for everybody but he's been in the right place five times in the last four weeks for turnover participation three of them for interceptions and he finally got one to stick the uh last week 
in terms of his first career interception. Uh, twice for fumbles, once to, in terms of recovering Peter's fumble. He was in the right place, dove on the football, just couldn't come up with it, couldn't couldn't gather it for whatever reason. And then uh, yesterday, of course, had the strip at the end of the first half. Not the ideal place to get a turnover, but hey, that's what this is the important thing. Just being in the right place to, to get turnovers uh, is something I look for for Patrick Queen the rest of the season. I hope he's going to, uh, you know, be the player that the Ravens hoped he would be when they when they drafted him. And and even it doesn't even have to be that player. Just if he if he if he can generate some turnovers, that'd be a very big positive for this offense. And the direction of his play definitely a big positive for this defense. Yeah, I've I've been impressed, and I know there's been plenty of conversations over the past couple of years of Patrick Queen about his very high highs and his very low lows, and I think we're now starting to see him, not that he wasn't before, I think he still was improving over the course of these first two years, but it came with that trade-off of he'll have a mistake here or a missed tackle there, and we're starting to see some of these things get cleaned up, and so it's encouraging for me at least to see Patrick Queen play so well. I thought Malik Harrison played well against the Giants, and he's shown some flat is kind of moving around the defense where the Ravens have needed him to. And the Ravens keeping six inside linebackers on their roster, I know for some was a contention point where it's almost like, why are you doing that when you can play so many different looks? And is there really a need for all these inside linebackers? But I think with the way the Ravens have moved guys around this year, I think Queen and Harrison have benefited and, and those two have impressed me. Yeah, Harrison's Harrison's a good one. He definitely uh, his play at outside linebacker has been useful, though he's been a zero in terms of rushing the passer from that spot. Uh, he actually had a, a two really good rushes uh, in this game, and Queen had one as well. By the way, it was really unusual where he pushed two players, and they have a they have a center who has almost no anchor in Feliciano. Guy used to play for Buffalo, but very poor anchor. But on on one of Queen's um, uh, pressures. He actually pushed uh, Andrew Thomas, the left tackle, into Feliciano, and both of them into the quarterback. Which is just, you know, who am I watching here? All of a sudden, is this guy, guy with all of a sudden this fantastic uh, strength, and and you know, is getting these offensive linemen effectively off balance, though they don't look it, and and moving backwards. And Malik Harrison had, had two pressures late as I scored it. Uh, definitely a very positive game for him. Very sure tackling game from Malik as well. Had three defensive wins on his tackles uh it was a big positive that's something we also saw from queen we can talk about that whenever you want during the show but uh you know anyway those are those are two more reasons why the ravens defense is headed in the right direction yeah and it's it's about young players stepping up you know this defense does have veterans on it for sure but you're gonna have to have eventually for any defense young players stepping up to the task and for queen and harrison who i know many people identified as Going into their third years, it's a big year for both of them. I think both of them have answered the bell. And while it's not perfect, it's not perfect for either of them. I do think that they have shown enough positives to me where I'm confident in them to say, hey, maybe these two could form some type of tandem. And I know Harrison's kind of moving around, but for both of them, they could be in Baltimore and making an impact for, I think, a long time. It's just they have to continue that trend, continue the trajectory. They can't stay complacent with just the good that they've had. Now it's obviously a continuous improvement for those guys. Queen, for sure. That's going to be a big question at the end of this year. He, he will have to play very well the rest of the way for the Ravens to pick up that option on year five, which they'll have to decide on at the end of the year. If he doesn't, it's still possible. He could be signed long-term. It's just, it's probably a little bit less likely if they, if they don't give him the money then that he's uh, he's interested in staying. I, another player who's who stepped up really well, Marcus Williams, an enormous loss for this defense. But uh, even though he's not playing every down or didn't, Geno Stone really is playing well right now. 
And I'm I'm very happy to see that. I mean, I, I've always thought he's a very talented player, loose or tight bracket. You hear me say that a lot in terms of what he can provide. Deshaun Her- uh, Deshaun Elliott, I should say, always a go to the midsection of the receiver guy, always trying to dislodge the football with the hit, but uh, very much the opposite for Stone. Stone is a very patient uh, spider, if you want, you know, weaving a web. Always want to be in the right place in a bracket. Look for that interception. Uh, good second man to the ball skills in terms of, of getting turnovers. You always see him trying to pry that ball free. Uh, hasn't had real big problems as a tackler. So I, I, I'm very happy with uh, with who he is. And that safety position, it, it, it very fortunately is extraordinarily deep. And the Ravens are still able to play good dime defense, uh, even with uh, losing Williams. Yeah, I know a lot of people talked all offseason about just how deep that position was. And for Williams, he has shown that he is absolutely worth the money. I mean, five years, 70 million after they gave Earl Thomas that deal and how that went, I, I was pleasantly surprised they did it. And it has worked out for him. They haven't had that player who can be that single high player when he's in there since Earl Thomas on the field in 2019. You can go back to Ed Reed if you really want to as well. But he has played well, and it is a big loss. It's massive for them. But I do have confidence in Geno Stone. You can also work Kyle Hamilton in in certain situations. But I think, again, it's about young players stepping up in the moment that they have and taking advantage of those opportunities. And I think Geno Stone has done that so far. He's impressed me. All right, we, your, your turn. You can go to another player or another thing about this defense that is that is positive at this point. Yeah, I think for me, when talking about what this defense has done as a whole, I, this is a defense that rushing-wise has been a little iffy, but I'm going to say the improvement overall, both the run defense and the pass defense. This was a group that early on in the year ranked in the bottom five, bottom seven in both run and pass defense. And over these past three weeks, we have seen the improvements, the settling in, as I talked about. And it's about, it's about not only the players, but the coaches. Mike McDonald, I think we're starting to really see him grow right before our eyes with some of the stuff that he's implementing. And I know early on in the season, it was a bit frustrating the the blown lead in Miami. Some of the play calls there weren't wonderful, especially later in that game. But I think we have seen the maturation process of Mike McDonald really honing into his role and understanding how to utilize his guy. So I'm going to say the consistent improvement I've seen with hopefully more of that improvement in the future, both run defense wise and pass defense wise. Okay, that's pretty broad, but we'll we'll allow it. <laughs> the uh, uh, I, I you know if we're talking about the coaching end of that, and you actually give me a lot to unpack here. If we're talking about the coaching end of that, I was never really that down on it. I I think that um, I always look at comments whether, wherever they are, Twitter, from anybody who really is is bashing play calling on either side of the ball with a jaundiced eye. And I think if you look at this game in terms of play calling or execution, it's it is pretty much all freaking execution. I mean, believe me, they did not draw up those false start penalties. They did not draw up those illegal formation penalty that illegal formation penalty. They did not draw up a twelfth man on the field. You know, there's no really set of controls that you can realistically have. I don't believe to make sure you don't end up with twelve on the field. You just got some players who you know aren't getting it and aren't in the right place at the right time, and and you know. Corrective action of various sorts is possible, but it's only possible for the next time. It's not possible for that time. And you, you can maybe call a timeout or something and waste one of those. Uh, but they, you know, they they have a lot of problems. Obviously, a lot of execution issues in this game in terms of some bad decision making on the field by players uh, and, and some and some players just not doing the right things pre snap, which which obviously I don't think is is a coaching 
uh, issue. In terms of improvements during the year, I mean, this this game, this team dominated the New York Giants. They allowed only 238 yards, 4.1 yards per play. It's 3.8 before those three kneels at the end, so I don't include those, but 4.1 yards per play uh, on the 59 plays that really mattered. Uh, that's really impressive. Uh, and when you really look at what happened in terms of missed tackles is another area I would go to. That's an area of big improvement. The, the Ravens actually had more missed tackles on their one kickoff return than they had on defense the entire game. And, of course, that kickoff return set them up with a short field that allowed them to score You know, the, the game-tying touchdown early that tied it at seven. So, uh, you know, it's just, I'm, again, I think that was a very big positive for the, for the defense uh, yesterday, in fact, was how few tackles they missed. And they're in a position where they've got Saquon Barkley, who forces a ton of missed tackles. And, you know, I, that, that kind of player is going to normally burn you for a few. And, you know, it was the kick return guy who got him for a few missed tackles, and, and it wasn't Barkley. No, and I think it's impressive because he's been so good this year. And you would think that if the Ravens were able to contain him and kind of limit his potential ability, it, there, it's an easy win for what the Ravens could do. But obviously what what unfolded unfolded and, and that's what happened. But I was impressed with them. They understood the assignment, as a lot of people say, because it, it forced the Giants to go somewhere else with the ball. And it benefited the Ravens immensely. So when you're talking about holding Saquon Barkley to 3.8 yards per carry, not a lot of teams have done that this year. And with how the Ravens rush defense looked in week five against the Bengals, where the Bengals came into that game as the second worst rush offense in the league. It's that improvement I'm talking about where hopefully that trend continues and they'll be able to do a lot more with it, especially with the Ascension. And, and another guy that we'll talk about, I'm sure, on the show is Justin Matabike, who I think has looked phenomenal. And his ability in the run game, we saw it multiple times where he's shedding guys, just violently shedding guys and making tackles in the backfield, which has been major, major impactful this year. All right, you've heard us talk about liquid death for a few weeks now, but have you started paying attention when you go to your convenience store? Did you notice those strange tall boys of beer? But they're in the bottled water section or they're in a store that doesn't sell alcohol, but it looks like they've got beer. It's because it's not beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps and it's called liquid death. Why is it called liquid death? Well, because it brutally murders your thirst. It's infinitely recyclable. Tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. Plus, they donate 10% of the profits to every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. And I don't know, for some reason... It seems like the water's always colder in a can rather than a bottle. Plus, you can have some fun with it. I had fun this weekend where I took a couple tall boys of Liquid Death to Coach Little League. You put those right into the uh, dugout with a bunch of eight-year-olds, and you'll get some attention. You got some parents looking. Definitely get some attention. But no, I had to show everyone it's just Liquid Death. I'm just drinking water in a dugout with a bunch of Little League kids. So go get Liquid Death for yourself, test it, try it out. You're going to fall in love with it like I do. So go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with the store locator tool at liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. His ability to twist his core uh, with power is remarkable. Uh, you know, very thick, muscular build uh, that, that he plays a lot heavier than he than he really is so I'm, I'm loving what we're seeing from Matt BK so far uh, the interior uh, defensive line in general has held up their end both in terms of pass rush contributions and uh, really what was a terrific 
uh, stifling defense against the Giants' run game. They played their most heavies at any time this season, so they got to play a lot of base defense, a little bit of jumbo at the end, but a lot of base defense throughout the game against the Giants, uh, primarily 12 personnel uh, that they put out there. So a, a, a fantastic game. I, I, not every team is going to give them a chance to do that, and that's a big difference from the Bengals game last week. When the Bengals you know, will go to 11, they force the Ravens to – uh, well, okay, they don't force the Ravens to not have three defensive linemen, but they do force them to uh, put three cornerbacks on the field, which limits how you can otherwise do it. The other other trick you can do is use jumbo nickel. We'll talk about that a little later in this game, where you put three defensive linemen and you still have five defensive backs, but you sacrifice an inside linebacker then. So they have multiple ways they can do it, but the defensive line was really, I thought, the the major component to the run game, uh, the run defense being exceptional in this one. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's guys stepping up and making an impact. And I think when you're looking at kind of a holistic picture of everything, if the defensive line can continue to play the way that they played in week six and the secondary can continue, can continue their momentum, God, that will be able to mesh into this one great defensive unit where we could see that improvement the whole season where the the rankings continue to go up and up and up and up. And a team that was once 26th in rush defense and 27th in pass defense gets into the top 15 and top 10 and even top five. Hopefully that's obviously the dream for what this defense can do. All right. How about the pass rush in this one? They've been absolutely blistered in terms of uh, criticism so far this year. Some of it justified in terms of not getting much from the edge. Another game where they didn't get much from the edge this time, but they still managed four sacks and they had pressure as I scored it on 18 of 31 throws dropbacks, which is by far their highest percentage of the season. And I still see people saying, where's the pass rush? Where's the pass rush? It's true. Oway wasn't really getting home. Pierre Paul didn't really get home in this one. I, well, neither of them really got home, obviously, but but they didn't really have much in the way of pressures either. Pierre Paul might have had zero. Oway might have had one or two. But uh, but anyway, it was it was a it was a game where, in general, the Ravens got tons of pressure. They got it from Patrick Queen. They got it from Campbell. They got it from Bynes. They got it from Matabike. Um, you know, they had multiple people. They got it from Harrison. Uh, lots of people providing pressure. Yeah, I think that it's been really. I'd say interesting to see the Ravens and just how they've been able to maneuver in this Mike McDonald era because Don Martindale does his Don Martindale thing. He's obviously in the top two in both blitz rate and total blitzes, but the Ravens aren't sending a ton of guys every single play. And we're starting to see the Ravens having to rely on get pressure, getting pressure with four, getting pressure with five, not necessarily six or seven. And I think, yeah, the ed- the edge group didn't do a ton against the Giants, but we still saw a team that got four sacks, which was their highest total, I believe, of the 2022 season. And they were able to make life uncomfortable for Daniel Jones in a lot of situations. And obviously, it didn't necessarily result in any turnovers outside of the right, literally right before the half fumble, where it's the last play of the half. And that, you know, counts, but it doesn't count. But I think that they did enough to where it's been very up and down, I'd say, throughout the season, where They have three sacks, one sack, three sack, one sack to start the year. But I think this was encouraging to say the least. Yeah, very much so. And and if you if you break it down a little further and you look at when they got their sacks, they got three sacks on 17 uh, dropbacks with a four man rush. That's fantastic. One out of 10 would be fantastic. Um, But, uh, uh, you know, one out of 20 would be good. But to get one out of, uh, you know, 5.7, that's fantastic. And uh, uh, really that's that's where a lot of it happened. Uh, I, I'll give you another player I think has been has contributed to what I think is going right with this defense right now. And that's Travis Jones, who got a sack on the very first play of the game. Uh, 
you know, it's great to have a young defensive lineman showing up. Uh, I think he had another pressure about just a couple plays later. Might have had a quarterback hit. He did. He had a quarterback hit just a few plays later. Uh, really was a a force in this game uh, versus run and pass. And, and uh, having a young defensive line, honestly, with the age they've got on that defensive line, it's just critically important. I, they've got to have somebody young to build around. Matabike looks like a guy now who who we put in that category and uh, Matabike and Jones together. And we had hoped to see Pierce with, with um, Jones. I think that would have been a, a, a really difficult to work with one, three combo of the, of the ilk of Lawrence and Leonard Williams that we just saw against the giants and what they were able to do against the Ravens offensive line. Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited for Travis Jones. We, we saw the flashes in the preseason. Obviously it was one of the, talks of town alongside Isaiah likely kind of go offense defensive rookie wise. It was those two who everybody was talking about. And we saw that again here in week six against the giants where he get he notches his first career sack shows the ability as an interior pass rusher, which I know has been an issue for Baltimore over the past couple of seasons. Can they get that consistent interior pressure? They bring in guys like Clayus Campbell and Derek Wolf guys who had success in their previous stints with Jacksonville and Denver respectively, and even Clayus Campbell dating back to Arizona. And over the first couple of years there, they didn't really, you know, Derek Wolf had one sack over his time with the Ravens, Clayus Campbell, kind of iffy sack numbers compared to what he did in Jacksonville. But Jones seems like this kind of young talent alongside Matabike, who I think those two in particular could form this really great duo. And yeah, I agree. Having Pierce in there would have been so fun. It would have been so fun to watch those guys. But I, the defensive line was one of the groups where, even if they had to go through an injury or two, I was confident in their depth. You also have Brock Washington on unit as well. Brent Urban is another veteran piece, and they have guys on the practice squad too, like Isaiah Mack, that can make an impact. So Travis Jones is one of these guys that I think by the end of the year, throughout the season, his role is going to continue to increase, and we're going to see him by the end of the year, I think have a pretty substantial role on this defense. I would expect that certainly. I mean, there's nobody else to play nose tackle. Right. So as as they play teams like the Browns and maybe the Bengals a second time, he's gonna he'll have a very central role. And you know, seeing him play more snaps is uh, is definitely great. Uh, you know, one of the things to look at we talked a little bit about this is just how much self inflicted damage there was uh, by this Ravens team, and and some of it was, I mean, again, non execution stuff, but Klein's penalty, always penalty. Uh, Stevens, you know, the D12, the Peter's DPI was, it was a legitimate call. It still was kind of ticky tack in terms of, of how much contact and how much real holdback there was there. Um, and then the illegal formation penalty is one of the most costly penalties you'll ever see. Uh, this is why there's pre-snap penalties and there's pre-snap penalties. The illegal formation is it occurred before the snap or it was thrown at the snap, but it's a different ilk because it's not a, uh, stop the game that's the result penalty it's a um it it could be worse if you if you uh have a worse result of the play and the ravens got the first down it actually they had to actually reverse the play take the yardage but if they hadn't have got the first down that would have stuck there so it's really a lot worse than an than a uh, a simple false start penalty even goes into the category with the illegal man downfield or whatnot of extremely costly effectively post snap five-yard penalties and so much self-inflicted damage in this game. But I, I really believe if they'd gotten the first down on the Jackson sneak and they hadn't had an illegal formation, uh, again, they did not draw up the play that way. I can guarantee you that. I can guarantee you there's not an error drawing up the play that has only six men on the line of scrimmage. Um, then they, uh, uh, they, they 
you know, they probably win the game from that point. They might have needed one more first down. They almost certainly would have gotten at a position where they could have punted the ball instead of turning it over. I say almost certainly because there is still a possibility they would have turned it over, but uh, there wasn't, there certainly wasn't the need to turn it over. There's much less of a need to even risk turning it over had they gotten that first down. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating because I think that when you talk about a single penalty that changed the game, for me, it was the illegal formation where they, yeah, they pick up the first down. You mentioned maybe one more, but that all effectively, I think at least at the very least, it forces way more time off the clock. And at that point, we've been kind of wondering where's the Ravens offense that has those seven, eight, nine, 10 minute drives to end a game where you don't see the opposing offense, get the ball back. And we haven't seen that this season. And I thought that that drive, well, I was thinking to myself, yeah. this, this is the drive where we're going to see it. They're going to close out the game. They're going to finish it. And it's going to be great. And then all of a sudden disaster happens. And that one penalty is where you kind of look, but yeah, this was a team over the first three weeks that had the least amount of penalties called against them. I think it was eight total penalties. And in this game, they had the 10 for 74. And it, it is those little ticky-tack things. And the, the camera, I am so curious to see what happened between O.A. and Bredesen because the camera didn't really show it on the broadcast, right. at least, where you see the end of it where always kind of holding Bredesen's helmet up like a trophy. And yeah, it's, and it's, that it was, was the problem right there. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the fact that he was holding up his thing, that's what drew the penalty. And, and rewatching it, I, I saw the same thing you did that I couldn't really see it from that. I'll look at the all 22 and see if there's anything more there. There might not be, uh, there probably is something because they'll, they'll at least have the end zone view. We'll, we'll be able to, to see it, but, uh, boy, the holding it up in the air, I mean, just hand it back to him. You probably don't get penalized. You probably yeah. don't here. You lost this. <laughs> but that's not what he wanted to do. They'd been having a little slap fight or whatever it was in there. And he wanted to uh, do that. And that's just, it's a dumbass penalty. So uh, even, even just dropping the helmet, I think would have just probably. You know, okay. Yeah. yeah. Just not even holding it up. Um, but you definitely don't want it. You don't want to lift the helmet up top and, and, and I have a trophy and you don't want to Kyle Turley it and throw it somewhere yeah. all the way down <laughs> the field where you're, where you're doing that. So, all right. Anyway, we mentioned only the Giants only had one long drive that the 75 yard TD that drive uh, midway through the fourth quarter that ended right around the six minute mark and set them up as soon as you're in that position. And, you know, you, you mentioned that you thought the Ravens could could salt the game away then with a nice drive. But the truth of the matter is the balance of strategies favor the trailing team so that the, the leading the leading team has to play three down football and the trailing team gets to play four down football. It's just that simple. Uh, you know, we've, we've occasionally, uh, you know, you, you, you will see a, a team go for it on fourth down, like the Ravens did against the chiefs last year to win the game on fourth and one. But, but most of the time, you know, just the advantage of playing four down football right now in the national football league is so great that it really means the balance of strategies favor the trailing team. And that's a hard thing to overcome. So if you're not, if you can't move down the field and score, and that's a, that's a tough assignment then you're you're going to give the other team a chance to get the ball back. And uh, even if they'd, I guess if they'd moved down and kick a field goal, they almost certainly would have exhausted most of the clock and it would have made it very difficult on the Giants. So that's that would have been a great goal for right there. But even if they'd moved it down and given the ball back to them with maybe a minute left and three points up, that would have been pretty good too in terms of probably not allowing them a seven or three kind of right on the right on the verge thing where they can, they can run the clock out and maybe have a chance at seven and then take three as the backup plan. Uh, that, uh, you know, it, it, it was, it was a, a great day for the Ravens defense, frankly, of holding the giants in the long field right up till that fourth quarter drive. 
Yeah, and I mean, the fact of the matter is the Giants, they couldn't really move. You mentioned the one long drive. They, they averaged 3.8 yards per play. If, if mm-hmm. there's a situation where I know all the conversation in week four was should you trust your defense, should you not trust your defense, how do you go about that if you're John Harbaugh? That's a situation where, yeah, you trust your defense to go. If you, if you have the Giants getting the ball back with two yeah. minutes or one minute to go, I would have trusted them in that situation because of the way they were playing and how they limited the Giants for most of the day where they didn't give up those long plays. They've done a better job these last couple of weeks of not letting stuff get behind them and kind of giving up a short thing here and there. But you'll take that if you're not giving up 40-yard touchdowns and 60-yard touchdowns like what happened against Miami in week two. So, yeah, I'm trusting the Baltimore defense against the Giants. I thought they played really, really well. And I know we talked about it a little bit, but I think the fault does mainly lie with the offense and how the, the end of that game played out and giving gifting the Giants offense that short field obviously makes it a, a lot more difficult for a defense going forward. We can talk about the Peters penalty. Obviously, that was one where just a ticky-tacky, not really necessary penalty. But at the end of the day, I thought the Ravens defense, they, they did their job. Yeah, they got the ball at the 13-yard line. I mean, I, you can talk about a penalty being the reason they scored there. That That isn't it. That's that's really not it. So it, it, the I mean, you mentioned the long plays and we were totally shut down on this. And this was the bane of the Ravens against a lot of teams. But certainly if you go back to that uh, Miami game, uh, the New England game, they gave up a ton of long plays in that one and still won. Uh, they didn't give up so many to Buffalo or the Jets, but those games were, were rainy games. So this was a, you know, a, a speed game, potentially in October clear day, nice weather, everything right, frankly, for a quarterback like Lamar. And uh, unfortunately, he didn't really take advantage of the situation. Daniel Jones didn't either um, with a long pass of 18 for the day for him. And, and Saquon Barkley, I mean, 22 for 83 in this game, his long run of the day, eight yards, eight yards. I mean, you know, you, you, I, I don't know what more the defense could have done in this game anyway. And we'll, 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 we'll talk about some other things about the defense uh, going forward. But this is a time to kind of appreciate that the defense tossed out a really fine game. I think a good game plan as well in terms of how they attacked it. They certainly got the pressure they needed. Uh, they did the things generally they needed to do. They, did, they converted a few more third downs than I'd like, but a couple more, I'd say. But it's only, what, 11 chances or something in the whole game. That was a relatively sp- a small number of total third downs they had in the game. Let me get to that because I'm – see, we're 7 of 14 on third down. So would I like them to be 5 of 14? Probably. Would I like there to be no penalties that gave them a free first down like the Oway penalty? Sure. Or, or the Peters penalty, which was, I think was on second down. Sure. But, uh, you know, I, generally speaking, I, I, I'd have to really pick nits to find what's really wrong with this defense in terms of how they performed in this game. Yeah, and the Ravens' third down defense this year actually hasn't been terrible. They've yeah. been a decent third down defense. At the time, I think they're 12th in the league right now. I think it's around 37%, 38% they're allowing. So they're a top half of the league defense in terms of third down. But you're right. The the 50% third down definitely could be improved. I think that's a little, little bit too much in terms of giving up third downs. And especially when we were talking about the third and 14 and then the third and 12 back to back. That was, I think that was the real killer where on that touchdown drive, the Ravens had multiple opportunities to stop them on third and long and they just didn't do it. Yeah, that, that was frustrating. I agree. And you're right. That's a, that's a good point to pick in terms of, of not getting it done there. Let's move on. Um, Talk about some of the scheme notes in this one. Uh, One of the things that was really nice is that the Ravens were able to go to heavier packages in this game. And they were able to do it because the Giants played lots of 12 personnel. They had lots of multiple tight end sets. They had some 13 as well. Don't really use a fullback unless it's a 
um, a, a tight end in the backfield. Uh, so, so they really are, you know, they're a team that plays a lot of tight ends, kind of like the Ravens playing themselves in practice, honestly. They had a lot of injuries at wide receiver. They did get one guy back, Wandale Robinson, who ended up scoring a touchdown for them on a little uh, rubber out there that uh, that was you know a little frustrating, but it happens. It was it was pretty much perfectly executed, and the Ravens couldn't get it covered. Um, the uh, you know they're, the fact that the Giants didn't force the Ravens into playing a third cornerback very often really played into the Ravens' hands pretty pretty significantly, I think, in this game. Yeah, I think there's a lot to look at, but when talking about the Ravens and what they have in terms of packages, one player I looked to actually, and it was kind of picked on a little bit, but Pepe Williams yep. was, was picked on a little bit, especially the middle of the game, where I've actually been impressed with Pepe Williams. And I think that he, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus B, they played well now. Pepe Williams, not to the level of those two guys, but I think you're, you're starting to get those contributions, but three corners on the field, I think is what Baltimore can take advantage of moving forward because they have the depth there. You know, Brandon Stevens can do his thing. So I think three corners is a situation that benefits Baltimore at the depth that they have there. It's, you know, if an injury or two happens, you start to wonder, you know, can Jalen Armour Davis come in and play? But I think three corners will, will benefit them moving forward. I'm going to take the other side of that argument for the good of the show. I think it's really <laughs> one of the Ravens' big weaknesses right now. And Jalen Armour, the fact that Jalen Armour Davis was a healthy scratch for this game, when I don't know, say Nick Boyle is active, is really should really tell you some things. Um, you know, they, they've got a lot of other players who would be significantly more valuable to the team than Nick Boyle right now on the field. And I, maybe they want him. Maybe they want his leadership. But I, I have him lead on the sideline. Have him wearing a you know a long sleeve shirt on the sidelines and telling the other tight ends what to do. Uh, it's just right now you know you get, they, they barely have him on offense. He did play a few snaps on offense. I, you know I noticed him in the game as we're scoring the offensive line tonight, uh, but but he didn't play too many snaps of offense in this game. I have to get that. Do you happen to know the number right off the top of your head? I don't know the number off the top of my head. No, I'd have to okay. look. I, I'm I'm looking right now just because I want to know five snaps at tight end, which that's the most since he's come back. He played four in another game and I believe he's had two zeros. So didn't get on the field much. Uh, one of the things that was funny, we're, we're at the game and Maureen goes, who's number three? And I go, that's James Prochet. And he hasn't been on the field either. So, uh, you know, he had three or four snaps in this game. So, uh, uh, you know, another guy they're not, they're not getting a lot of use out of. But I, but I really said this to talk about Jalen Armour Davis. And, and honestly, the fact that they can't have one guy win the job is all you need to know about the third cornerback situation right now. And I, I'm, I do believe Pepe is the guy. I really do. I think he's the best of their three guys right now in terms of what he gives the Ravens as their slot cornerback. I believe Jalen Armour Davis will be an outside corner in the future. I believe Brandon Stevens probably should be an outside corner if he's going to play anywhere. But Brandon Stevens is making too many boneheaded mistakes. And the the, the D12 was another one in this game that was extremely frustrated, uh, frustrating. And, you know, in the, I think it was in yeah, the New England game, they pulled two corners. They benched two healthy corners in that game. Jalen Armour Davis after nine plays, and then they then they benched uh, Stevens after the first drive of the second half and put in Pepe finally. I thought they finally got the magic formula at that point, and then Pepe hasn't looked as good as he did earlier in the season and the preseason in particular in terms of uh, being a good reach-across-the-body corner who, who still gave you the coverage of a much longer guy. Now he seems to, you know, they seem to, crossing routes seem to be the, the kryptonite for him. 
Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things, and I actually just thought about this, is the fact that, you know, we're talking about the depth of this team, and last year, obviously, corner was a huge point of contention in terms of just Mm -hmm. how little depth they had there. But they almost went out there with the rumors about the Ravens going out there and trying to get Xavier Howard from the Dolphins. And so if something had, like, if if one of those guys, if Marcus Peters goes, then hopefully not, but if Marcus Peters goes down or someone goes down, I think you're, I agree. I think Pepe Williams is the future at slot corner. I think he's impressed me enough to the point where that is a definite plus. But maybe the Ravens go out there and get another corner at the trade deadline. You know, we've, we've seen it with Marcus Peters, and I don't think corner was the biggest need for them back in 2019. But his spark and his energy, obviously what he's done now, it's been incredible. So maybe the Ravens, if they feel like they need more of a veteran, obviously the loss of Kyle Fuller, they thought that was going to be their veteran guy, and he goes down in week one. So maybe a corner is on the, on the minds of Baltimore if they're looking to make an acquisition. I, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of. I, I, I would kind of doubt they'll make an acquisition of any significant money, just because there is no money currently. I mean, right. they they don't have any money. They barely have the vet men kind of money to make moves. So, if they if they were to acquire a player like Howard, who has a lot of money on his deal and a lot of money he's earning this year in base salary, then they'd have to get that moved around by Miami. You know, I, I, if obviously Howard is not the guy they're going to get with Miami playing well and being in contention. So, but if it's a player like Howard, who has a big salary right now, it's just, there really isn't a way to get it done. So uh, they, they, you know, they've, they've been working off that min deals. They've been having less than a full roster active from week to week, which is that's you're really scraping the bottom then because you're talking about the difference in what you pay a practice squad player and what you pay a, a uh, fully rostered player, but you know, they're trying to get by with 51 on the roster instead of 53. So uh, th- th- that cap situation is so dire. I, you know, look, would I love to have a nice receiver come in here who could really play? Sure. Do I want Deshaun Doc Jackson? Absolutely not. You know, he's a, he's an older guy, but he's a vet men guy and that's who the Ravens can afford right now. And you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's the way of life. Uh, so we've got to, got to figure out which of those players w- really make sense. And, Hopefully they don't burn the Ravens out of a bunch of NLTBE money uh, that ends up costing them out of next year's cap, which would, which would be honestly a very big fear for me. Yeah, it's you got to work with what you have. And I know some extensions would free up money, but how realistic are those extensions doesn't seem super realistic at this point. Who, so. who are you going to extend right now? I mean, it's, if, it's Marcus Peters is a possibility um, and Lamar would be the other. Yep. And I really don't know who else there is. Yeah, it, those are the big ones. I mean, you have to look, and obviously the, the talent at this stage, it's it's the middle of October. You know, there's Marcus Williams isn't walking through that. Marcus Williams type signing is not walking through that door. So right. you have to look at what you have and know, like the Sean Jackson would not be my first or probably even fifth choice, but you, ha- you have yeah. to take with what, take what you got and, and work with what you have. So in terms of corners or, you know, anything else that's out there. I know Joe Hayden would have been a possibility maybe, but he's obviously retired now. So if a corner, they have to scrape the bottom of the barrel for a veteran corner, it would most likely have to be one of those minimum guys. Yeah. And, and right now there might be somebody who's still available as we go on. Cornerback is one of those positions where the replacement level drops fairly drastically. The later in the season, you wait to get that guy. And the Ravens have been late to the cornerback window. Uh, which ends up being the same as the DoorDash window, as we've heard from Wick Martindale, uh, when you get into November and December. So uh, it, it, they're, they're really, it, it, there starts to be absolutely no one available. Right now, there might be somebody sitting on a practice squad that there's still a team out there hoping doesn't get poached. Uh, unfortunately, I think the, you know, the, one of the better cornerbacks that's available on anybody's practice squad is probably Darius Washington. 
Um, all right, let's move on a little bit. The Ravens continued to uh, rotate more, and, and they're doing a lot of this at a lot of positions. I think this has been a point of emphasis these last few weeks, make sure that they don't get, or if they do get outsnapped, that it doesn't end up being a big problem for them. But we know they've been doing it as much as they can at outside linebacker, which has still really meant Owe and um, and JPP have been playing the vast majority of snaps the last couple of weeks. Uh, they actually got a few more snaps this week out of Ada Ochu, and obviously they got a fair amount of play out of Harrison. Uh, and and between the two of them, they're giving a little bit of rest, at least to those those primary two guys. We're seeing at safety some rotation now, and rotation by series in this game between uh, Stone and Hamilton at free safety. In fact, the, the I think the game book doesn't even have a single guy listed as a as a free safety in this game for the Ravens. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think when you're talking about outside linebacker, Tyus Bowser solved so many issues. He, he, mm-hmm. he solved so many issues. He was, I, I argue, he is the was the most consistent defender on the Ravens in 2021 by a pretty pretty decent margin. He was able to lead the team in sacks. Really benefited from a lot of the playing time that he got in stepping into that role. And I know that for guys like Bowser and David Ajabo, we will probably see the ramp up periods, but they will factor into a rotation where we've seen the rotation with Ronnie Stanley, JK Dobbins in the rotation. Marks Peters early on was in the rotation. So mm-hmm. the, they do have depth. Some of it isn't necessarily great depth, but they do have it. And I think that they can work with it in terms of getting guys back. Like when we're talking in, late November, early December, and hopefully guys like Bowser and Edwards and Ajabo and all those guys are all back and actually playing the majority, if not all of the snaps. But before that, you have to work in guys like JPP and other guys like a Brandon Copeland off the practice squad and our Darius Washington off the practice squad, just to be able to get bodies on the field. So they're not overexerting these guys more. So the rotations, they have the depth to do it, especially at positions like defensive line and at safety when Marcus Williams right. is in there. And even, even without, but they have that. And even at inside linebacker, it's a little more iffy because Her- Malik Harrison's playing all over the place. But I think with Queen, the way he's playing, and, and even Josh Bynes, some Bynes has had, I think, an up and down year, more, more so down. But I think it's been up and down for him. I'm impressed with the Ravens' depth on defense. Not perfect. Obviously, there are plenty of errors they can improve, but I think it's been beneficial for them to have a rotation. Inside linebacker, they haven't even used all their rotation because they've got Welch and Delshawn Phillips has been around for these games, even though we've only seen him for one snap defensively. Um, Offensive tackle, another place where they they chose to rotate in this game before they were forced to play only one. But we we saw McCary come in at the beginning of the second quarter for Stanley. Uh, in, in what we hope is a now completed ramp up period where Stanley can go a full game. But, uh, uh, you know, it's slot corner is an unusual place to rotate because it's already a limited snap position. Uh, rotating safety is just unheard of really in the NFL and rotating on safety during a series, even more unheard of. Uh, and they did a little bit of both those things in, in this game um, with having uh, different players like Stevens and Hamilton and Washington and who's the fourth I'm thinking of, Pepe, all rotating in during the same series for various roles. Now, they know what they're supposed to do and all this. It's not like they don't know what package they're supposed to be in most of the time. Stevens didn't, obviously, the one where, we, where he's on as a 12th man. But but uh, uh, that kind of rotation in the secondary is very unusual. And, and, and the Ravens, uh, the fact that they've been willing to do it now and in past years is a good indication that they're really trying to keep people as healthy and as rested as they can as, as games move on. 
Yeah, and I think you can even go back to the the three corner rotations they would run when it was Marlon Humphrey, Brandon Carr, and Jimmy Smith, or Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, Marcus Peters. They love to have those rotations where guys aren't playing a full complement of snaps during the game to keep them fresh and ready for the fourth quarter. You know, the Ravens not giving J.K. Dobbins over 15 carries for at any point in his career is because they have guys like Gus Edwards who yeah. have talent and can do that. And then in the fourth quarter, when defenders who have played 95% of snaps are tiring and are wearing down, you have J.K. Dobbins who's played 50 percent going all right i'm just gonna bowl you over because you can't tackle me right now so it's those things that are an advantage to the ravens but the key in that is they have to have they have to be talented they have to be able to play and play well and i think the ravens at most positions when everybody's healthy and health is a big factor they're at least too deep and you can look at most positions and say that again not perfect everywhere they do have areas they can add but i think the talent is a little bit underrated because this is a three and three football team right mm-hmm. now and not four and two, not five and one, not six and oh. So people are looking at the record and they're saying, well, where's the talent? I think it's there for the most part, but they just have to put it all together. I think that's the number one thing for them. Speaking of the the, the running back rotation, I mean, obviously the, the, the not- notion of a three-headed monster is a relatively recent one. And, and when it has not been true, it's been really extreme and thought of differently. So the uh, most of the 1970s teams wanted to have a single bell cow offense. If you go back to, to the Oilers of the 70s and Earl Campbell, uh, you know, you know, lots of other teams. The exception was the Miami Dolphins, who had a three-headed monster, and they had Jim Kick, Mercury Morris, and Larry Zonka. Um, you know, the Baltimore Ravens, i sorry, Baltimore Colts of the mid-70s really leaned heavily on Lydell Mitchell, and they did do a few things on third down. They had Don McCauley and they had other guys, but, but they had a disproportionate share of carries. I, we're we're much more in an era where carries are very restricted. I mean, almost every team really wants to pitch count their carries, and only a few uh, really. And and the the Bengals are one with Joe Mixon who really overuse him, and uh, and Saquon Barkley would be another one that's that's really very badly overused in terms of uh, the number of carries per game they may get. Yeah, and it, it's you see a trend even with backs and contract years where I know Saquon's in a contract year right now. Miles Sanders in Philadelphia is in a contract year right now. And those guys are getting plenty of workload, but that wears them down over the course of time. And I think that's where the, I guess the stigma of the running back position right now is these guys can't play past 30 because of all the wear and tear that they have on their bodies. Where as for a JK Dobbins, who I know is, you know, at some point will begin second contract hunting, whether it's with Baltimore or somewhere else, the workload is valuable to be able to say, Hey, look, I can do this over the course of a full 17 game season but at the same time the long-term outlook of that is when jk dobbins turns 27 28 29 30 not having the early season workload or the early career workload i should say mm-hmm. will benefit him and honestly will probably ensure a longer career assuming everything goes well for him so i think it is a benefit and obviously to baltimore it's a benefit because they can rotate in town to backs and kind of the stuff i talked about earlier but it's interesting because the Ravens with Dobbins, I think Justice Hills looked great. And obviously he's injured now, but he's looked really good. Kenyon Drake had the game of his life on Sunday against the yep. Giants. So when Edwards comes back, I don't think they keep five running backs. I think Mike Davis is the clear odd man out in that situation. But they could find ways potentially to use all four of those guys. You obviously, when everyone's healthy, you want to lean on Dobbins and Edwards. But complimentary guys like Justice Hill and Kenyon Drake is not a worst case scenario. No, it it, it isn't. Um 
you know, one of my issues with Drake is that that I didn't really think he was the speed guy the Ravens need to threaten the edge, but he had some speed plays in this game and and he looked a little bit better out of sidecar than he has to me so far this year. Obviously, he had a pretty good game against Buffalo. No, against Cincinnati. He had a pretty good game. Um, but uh, a great game uh, here this week. And, and, you know, some of the outside runs, just beating everybody at the edge for the Giants uh, were, were impressive in this one. Let's move back to the defense, though, and uh, let's move on to the packages. And I think we talked through some of the scheme here. I'm going to go through some of these numbers by package that I have. They played two snaps at Jumbo. It was right at the end of the game with four defensive linemen. And they get up an R5 and an R6 on those plays. And I don't think that's highly reflective of, of, of what their Jumbo defense is. But it was really a shame that Barkley was able to so easily put the game away with a first down right there. He knew just what to do with it, by the way. Good on-field awareness for him to slide down, not score. Rare case, folks, where the ball is worth more than seven or even eight points in that situation. And uh, not everybody you know, really comes to that conclusion normally. But you really don't want to go up by eleven in that situation if it's a if it's a, a you know a possibility of the Ravens driving and then scoring again. Honestly, very low percentage chance that anything happens. But you take it to zero percent if you just if you stay out of the end zone there and you kneel, kneel, kneel. And and Barkley, good job of not being selfish on that play. Where the Ravens really shine in base defense, seventeen plays, thirty nine yards. That breaks down as eleven run plays for twenty six. That is doing the job uh, against the run obviously, for, for their base defense. But even when they threw the ball, it was uh, six plays for 13 yards, included that that first S-6 minus for uh, for Travis Jones to start the game. So great to see them playing such great base defense. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great, especially because I know that this, this is not a traditional base defense, but when they're in it, they, they performed. And it was, I think the key part of it is giving the Giants different looks that, I think for young quarterbacks, we've seen rookie quarterbacks, second year quarterbacks, third year quarterbacks sometimes struggle against Baltimore's many different look defense. But when they just kept it simple and, and went base, they did get the job done. And holding holding 11 rushes for 26 yards is still for the way the Giants had run. They came into this game as a fourth rated rushing offense. And it was the key point of everything that goes into it where I think the base defense played really well and being able to shut down the run in those situations was key. I think one of the things that the Giants may need to look at, because this is a, this is a blueprint on how to stop the Giants defensively, and and not everybody's been able to do that, believe it or not. But the but the base defense, you only get to play the base defense if if the if you the Giants are nice enough to not put a third receiver on the field. The Giants have a lot of problems with injuries at wide receiver, but they still have three or four active wide receivers. I guarantee you on Sunday, I just don't know who they were after Slayton and and uh, Rondell or Wondell Robinson. Uh, they they had other guys they could they could put out at that position that would have forced the Ravens into playing less base, but they did the Ravens frankly a favor to uh, to let them put this third defensive lineman on the field so regularly because they put in uh, their twelve personnel. Moving along a little bit to the the uh, jumbo nickel, which is kind of an alternative. It's an in between alternative to the base and the nickel defense. So they were in this 19 plays. Uh, now it used to be that Wink would do some of it against 11, uh, uh, but he would definitely do some against uh, 12 or 21 as well 
uh, I did not look at exactly what the I did not note what the what the uh, exact alignments were of this, but it was 19 plays for 87 yards, so that worked out too for four and a half or so yards per play. 10 for 39 running, so no big problem there. Nine for 48 passing. You'd obviously take that every day of the week if you could get it, or every Sunday anyway, if you could only get it one day a week. And uh, they really look good uh, in the in the jumbo nickel. Now that's again. Three defensive linemen, two outside linebackers, one inside linebacker. That's that's where you're making a sacrifice. You break through into the second level. You better have your safeties be able to make good run fits. And the Ravens, fortunately, you know, with Clark on the field, have a, a, a very good Tony Jefferson style run fitter. Yeah, it's a physical physical safety who I think can help you in that situation. But it's about it's about the front seven. Well, I guess the defensive line being able to win and win mm-hmm. hard in those situations. As you mentioned, it once that running back hits the second level. Comes a lot more iffy, comes a lot more iffy. And 10 for 39 in that situation is is actually pretty impressive because I think it speaks to the performance of the defensive line, which I know, Ken, we've talked about. But guys winning, like there's the one play with Justin Matabike you talked about, but I know there are others where he just, I can't get over how violently he sheds these blockers. Like it, it is incredible what he does there. Clayus Campbell had a couple plays himself, but in those situations, the defensive line has to win and they have to win fast. And I think we saw that over the course of the game. Yeah, they they certainly can't afford to get pushed around. So you can't you can't be in a position there where if you're playing two gap that that you actually lose your your block straight up to uh, to thing or he manipulates you into into being a one gap player, which is obviously not not what you'd want either. Um, but anyway, great job in jumbo nickel. The standard nickel they didn't have to play too much because the Giants really had to put eleven on the field entirely for the standard nickel to occur. But they had nine plays for sixty four yards allowed. Not the worst results but they did allow four passes for 53. So once again, I think the Ravens honestly got a little bit of a favor from the Giants in terms of being able to pay these heavier packages. And you can, a lot of the damage done in the four for 53 was done directly to, uh, uh, well, one of the plays was, one of the plays was, was with Queen as the underneath defender, but, but there was another with um, Pepe as a, as a player as well. They, they still held them to five for 11 uh, rushing in that uh in that standard nickel. So uh, other teams, when they, when they go to 11 and they have three receiving threats, then the Ravens just do not have a choice in terms of, of not putting three cornerbacks on the field. Yeah. The giants are so beat up at wide receiver right now. They, they, so many, so many injuries. I know Richie James is another one of those guys, David Sills guys who are probably inactive. If the giants have their full complement of guys like a Sterling Shepard and whatnot, Kadarius, Tony, obviously another one of them, but I think, yeah, I agree. The Ravens definitely were able to put in those heavier packages, where I think benefited them. And based off how well the defensive line was playing and the front seven was playing in general, that's what they needed. They needed that as a defense to be able to put in those heavier packages. And we saw it because of the Ravens effectiveness in the run game. Yeah. Sills is a, is a, is a great case in point. And, and I don't, I haven't gone back to check, but when he's in the game, I'm guessing they just treat him like a tight end, which means go ahead and put your, you put your base defense on the field. You put this jumbo nickel on the field. Uh, you can not be afraid about having a, uh, a jumbo nickel would actually get you a slot corner. You really be the case of, could you put base defense on the field when your 11 personnel includes David Sills, who's, you know, six, three, two, 11. That's not, he's not a burner. He's not going to get way down on the field on your on your uh, team. So anyway, uh, Giants Giants left Ravens a lot of options with the personnel they had. Certainly, I agree with your comment. Uh, Ten plays in dime, all passes for forty one yards. So you know the Ravens had had some problems in the dime, and they gave up a couple consecutive first downs at one time with the eighteen yard pass, and then a fifteen yard pass. 
Uh, but generally speaking, they got the job. Then the last dime snap of the game was the S minus 11 by Campbell, which was a very big play uh, that held them to three points. They did play two plays a quarter. Those were right at the end of the first half. Incomplete sack fumble for zero. Not a lot I can take from that statistically, but nice to see them willing to uh, get the appropriate package on the field. Uh, they're, they're, they've, they haven't been a, a team that's really used quarter in what I would call a non-extraordinary situation, like end of half, end of game, they've used it a little bit. And they might have used it on a third and 18 or something like that, but I don't think they've used it on a third and six, third and eight play. If you go back to the 2000 Ravens, they used it all the time in those situations. They used they used it 62 times during the season, uh, including seven in the Super Bowl, or 55 times during the regular season. Uh, they were they, they were there were times during that year when they said third and four, yeah, we'll go to quarter. And uh, uh, it's it's just it's strange to think with all the real talented starting eleven that they had that they said, yep, Marvin Lewis, that's that's the defense I want on the field. Yeah, it is funny, and I think for the, the way this team is built, they can do it. They can do it if they want to, but I, game situations, I guess, haven't dictated, especially in this one. Like it just did not dictate it in this game because of the way the Giants ran their run their offense. So, mm-hmm. moving forward, I'm interested to see, especially with the schedule they have coming up, if they do it a little more. I, I'm, I think they should do it a tiny bit more, but I'm interested to see if they actually do pull the trigger on doing it. But yeah, it's an interesting trend that they've done so far, not really using it as time. Yeah, the trick would the, the reason you'd want to do it is you'd want to get the second inside linebacker off the field. And there have been times when I've really felt that way this year. But right now with Queen playing well the last four weeks, uh, or or playing more well than not the last the, the last four weeks and being in a position for some turnovers, you know, his his real strength as a player is in terms of what he gives you as on the pass rush, including in this game, obviously. But I I think they're more likely to keep Queen on the field on third down, which really limits the opportunities for quarter snaps uh, at this point for for uh, uh, non-extraordinary situations like that end of half. Uh, they have to chuck it up or they have to get 15 yards on the first play to try and get a shorter field goal. Yeah, and I think it speaks to the confidence that the team has in Patrick Queen as well based off what he's done recently. And again, it's continuing, continuing the trajectory of what he's done. You know, he has to be able to continue to perform in that way, but – I think for what he's been able to do, he's able to be on the field in a lot more packages than I think people might have been comfortable with early on in the season. And obviously, there's still some situations where you can take him off. But I think for now, he's he's been pretty good. Okay, we're going to do what we normally do at this point in the show, Kevin, which is take about a two-minute uh, bio break. If you're my age, you understand why <laughs> we need these things. Kevin doesn't get it yet, but he will. He's coming up. He's got, he's, you get this to look forward to. Uh So uh, uh, tell folks, first of all, where they can find your work online. Yeah, sure. So I am on Twitter at KOSTriker34. You can also find me hosting and producing the Locked On Ravens podcast. We do that five days a week. We're in audio form. So anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Also on YouTube and video form. It's the same show, both audio and video. Also, I write for Ravens Wire. We do written content over there seven days per week. So injury updates, analysis, anything under the sun for Baltimore. I'm very as I always say, Ravens oriented over here. A lot of lot of Ravens content. All right, outstanding to have you on, Kevin. And we'll talk to you in a few minutes on part two.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.